been a blessing to speak with you over the last few weeks about my favorite topic, and I know yours, God. We sing his praises and we study his word, and it's wonderful to rejoice in his manifold perfections, one of which I want to speak to you again tonight. Uh, Because God is one of the foundational (laughs) beliefs of our church, of course. We worship Almighty God. So I tell you a story as we begin. It's a true one. Uh, My people, the ancient Hebrews, were a slave people, as you know, for in excess of 400 years in Egypt. It was a terrible time, and they cried out to God for help. You see, because from a human point of view, their situation was rather hopeless. But he saw their plight, and he heard their cry, and he sent a deliverer to them by the name of Moses. And Moses led the slave people out from bondage through the desert, and off they went on their way to a land of wonderful promise. But how should they now live? They didn't know how to live as a free people since they had been an unconstituted slave people. And now they had the experience of marvelous new freedom. How would they exercise it? How should they now live? And so God gave the answer through this deliverer, Moses. It's in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. By the way, Leviticus, if you care to turn there, Leviticus 11, 44 is the first book in the Bible that Jewish kids learn. And you would say, oh, why? It's all about laws and rules and regulations. Oh, no, it's a love letter. It's about God saying, I love you so much. I care how you live. It's a love letter. So here's the answer God gave the ancient Israelites about how they should live. In Leviticus 11.44, he said, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You see, the Lord was their God now. Therefore, his character must determine how they live. He is holy, therefore they must be holy. Well, folks, you and I also were in bondage once, not to the Egyptians, but to a much crueler taskmaster, our own sin. And our situation also, from a human point of view, was rather hopeless. But God saw our plight and sent to us a deliverer, not named Moses. Oh, no, this far greater deliverer is named the Lord Jesus Christ. And he led us out of bondage to our sin. Now we are on our way to a place of great promise. It's called heaven. And so we are faced with the same question the ancient Israelites were. How then should we now live? For we are no longer a slave people. Now we are free from sin. We don't have to be obligated to it. How then should we exercise our newfound freedom? How should we live? Well, God gave the answer to this question again through Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. And here's what he said. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Doesn't that sound familiar? 
Folks, it's the exact words which Moses, the deliverer, pronounced upon Israel thousands of years ago. And so what God is saying is that the same thing which he said to Israel under the old covenant, he repeats to us as members of the church under the new covenant. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Isaiah said in the presence of the Almighty, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. A trinity of exclamations of holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Well, folks, the God of the universe, can you think of it, is our personal Lord now. Therefore, his character must determine how we live. He's holy. Therefore, there is no option for his people. We must be holy. That's what we want to talk about tonight. This marvelous characteristic of God. He is holy. What does it mean when we say he is holy? Well, the word means to be set apart. God is this way. He is holy, set apart in his holiness from the rest of his creation. He's in a class by himself. He's far above and beyond us. He is a cut above. And particularly, he is a cut above with regard to his moral perfection. He is completely, can you fathom it? He is completely free from sin. He's morally excellent. He is morally perfect. He has no, think of it, No moral limitations. Habakkuk, Habakkuk described the holiness of God so well in chapter 1, verse 13. Your eyes, said he, are too pure to approve evil. And you cannot look upon wickedness with favor. He is morally perfect. We are to be like him. But my dear fellow Christians, we have a big problem. And the Apostle Paul concisely declared to us what it is in Romans 3.23. He said, all have sinned. That poses us with a big problem. For we have, by sinning, all have sinned. We have offended God's holiness. Our sin treats God as if he were unholy our sin is an utter contradiction of God's holy nature he who is morally excellent do you think you I do you think we can get away with it we cannot our sin is a powerful affront to the holiness of God we cannot get away with it a holy God and he is must judge us for our sin If he looked the other way, though we would like it, if he looked the other way, then we could no longer consider him to be holy. You see, for God to remain holy, he cannot be indifferent to our behaviors that dishonor him, to our behaviors that oppose him, to our behaviors and choices that contradict his holy character. God cannot do nothing about our sin. He has to do something about it. And he did. He is repulsed 
by our sin. And he holds us responsible for it. So you see, we who sin, and all have sinned, that's all of us. We who sin, don't you see, are in a very precarious position. We who sin are subject to nothing less than the wrath of God. His wrath is his necessary, required reaction to sinful behavior on our part. Behavior that's in direct contradiction to his holy character. If God did not have such strong hatred of sin, we would have to wonder if he really loved his holiness. But since he hates evil with such fervent intensity, I tell you the message is crystal clear. God's holiness is very important to him. He loves it very much and his wrath is an expression of his love for his holiness so then if God is to maintain his honor if God is to maintain his holiness don't you see he must show that it cannot be cheapened by our sin he must respond out of his uncompromising undiminished undiluted, non-negotiable holiness to our sin. When we sin, don't you see? We're wrong about it. We think it is merely some trivial act. Oh, no, it is not. When we sin, we are doing that which Almighty God hates. He hates it. And this puts us in a very dangerous spot. What can we do? Well, the answer is simple. We can accept and for the rest of our lives rejoice in what God has done already for us. Here's a summation of it in Romans chapter 5, verse 9. I love this verse. Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him <clears throat> when you and I talk about being saved and in our faith community uh, those are words which are in our common parlance to be saved it's wise for us not to take it for granted though it's vocabulary familiar to us when we use the term saved are you saved I have been saved I think it's important for us to answer the question saved from what what are we to be saved from? Well, the answer is given in the verse I just read to you, Romans chapter 5, verse 9. If you look at it carefully, we are to be saved from God. <laughs> Precisely, we are to be saved from the wrath of God. And this verse tells us, get this, that God himself is willing to save us from himself. Think about it. God himself is the one who is willing to save us from himself through the sacrifice of himself. Could I repeat that since it's the greatest story ever told? Romans 5.9 tells us God himself is willing to save us from himself through the blood sacrifice of himself in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. Folks, that is the greatest story 
ever told. Holy God himself is the one who saves us from himself. Have you thought about it? We are to be saved from God who is holy. We are to be saved from his wrath. He has saved us, those of us who have accepted what Jesus did for us personally on the cross. And now, having been saved, good news. It is God's strong desire to take us to heaven, to the place of great promise. Why? I think it's for this reason. God wants to take us to heaven because he loves his holiness so much that he wants to share it with us forever. That's why you ought to be eternally secure if you're a Christian. (laughs) You don't have to hang on and intentionally get to heaven. God has a strong intentionality to get you there. (laughs) The ultimate promised land. Why? Because he loves his holiness so much that he wants to share it with those of us who are the objects of his affection through faith in Jesus Christ, and he wants to share it with us forever. He loves his holiness. Folks, hell is a real place, even to use the term, sometimes a little offensive to the ear, too bad. It's a reality. So whereas hell is a display of God's holiness in hating sin, heaven is a display of God's holiness in loving righteousness. God loves his holiness. Therefore, we who are called by his name ought to love it as well. In fact, could I suggest this? We ought to love his holiness more than we love the gifts we seek from him. There is no shame in looking to Jesus to help you with your problems. Please do. There is no shame in beseeching Jesus to help you with the burdens of your life. Please continue. There is no shame in asking Lord Jesus to heal you of a physical affliction or to bless you with financial wherewithal to meet your needs and those of your family. Please don't misunderstand. No shame. But I wonder if we ought even more than all of those things petition uh, the Lord Jesus to control our lives, to change our ways, and to make us holy. We sing a song around here, and I have to apologize to you because I think I'm about to do it. I feel it coming on. (laughs) It's just an addiction. It's this marvelous song, Holiness. Holiness is what I... You know what? Let's give you a break. I'll just pronounce the words. Holiness. Holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. Then the words are uttered to God. Holiness is what you want for me. I find the song to be quite beautiful and the words quite biblical, except when we in our lives substitute one word for the word holiness. When we sing in essence, with our lives, even to the Lord Jesus. Happiness. Happiness is what I long for. Happiness is what I need. Happiness is what you want for me. Now, though the song may still sound beautiful, it is no longer biblical. 
The call is to holiness, not to happiness. But please do not misunderstand. It is not that God would begrudge us our share of happiness in this life. It is that he, Father, knows best and he knows the pathway to happiness is through holiness. So we are to be holy as he is holy. We've been privileged, my fellow Christians, and blessed in this way. The Lord, has he not? The Lord has brought us nigh. The Lord has drawn us to himself. The Lord has brought us closer into himself. And do you not find this to be true? The closer one is to God, the more holy that one becomes. So I ask you this rhetorical question. How close are you to God? Are you closer to God than your next door neighbor? Then you must live by holier standards. Are you closer to God than your co-worker? Then you must live by holier standards. Are you closer to God than your classmates? Then you must live by holier standards. Are you closer to God than various family members? Then you must live. By holier standards. Don't you see my fellow Christians. You, I, we have been called closer to God. Therefore, as Peter said. But like the Holy One who called you. Be holy yourselves. Also in all your behavior. Why? Because it is written. You shall be holy. For I am holy. Father, we thank you that you want us to reflect your character. Father and son, father and daughter. Having adopted us into your family, you want us to look like you. And though we can never attain to your moral perfection, we really can live a holy life as a reflection of your character. Oh God, I don't think the world needs to see more of us. They have to see more of your holy character through us. Would you even tonight, Lord Jesus, as an act of love, impress upon us areas in our individual lives that still yet are unyielded to you, unsurrendered and unholy. The one here who's immersed in an impurity of one kind or another, the one who is looking at things that ought not to be seen, the one who is doing things that ought not to be done. Oh, God, that person is not doing something light and trivial. Oh, God, that person is opposing your very character and cannot have the full and meaningful life you intend. So, Lord Jesus, I pray here in the power of your Holy Spirit, even this evening, you might search us and know us and find if there be any unholy way in us and give us the boldness and courage to repent of it even tonight. Make us, Lord Jesus, to be, to speak out, to look like a distinctly holy people for we have been distinctly privileged by being drawn closer to you and infinitely, indisputably holy God. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen. I wonder if